<laughs> so what are we listening to? We're listening to the sounds of dinosaurs all over the world. Um, I haven't heard any roars or um, gurgles, screeches. Well, put all of that aside. We're listening to the sounds of living dinosaurs, birds. I mean, we're, we're still in the age of dinosaurs. You know, their story isn't just, you know, rock and bone and, and, and dead history. They're still very much with us. That's Brian Sweetek, my favorite dinosaur writer and our guest for this episode. Today, he's here to help us figure out how dinosaurs went from the land before time to right outside our windows. Cheep, cheep. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. Okay, so you're telling me that all these bluebirds and robins and like little parrots and chickens, like the kind that we had for dinner last night, like we actually had dinosaur. We had dinosaur for dinner last night. Mmm, delicious dinosaur. Tastes like chicken. <laughs> I kind of remember when I was a kid that there were some folks who said that they thought that dinosaurs were birds. But why are they so sure now? Well, that's why we're talking to Brian Sweetek. He wrote a book called My Beloved Brontosaurus about how much dinosaurs have changed over the past 30 years. People just don't know what to think anymore. The old versions, the ones that you know I initially grew up with, they were dragging their tails, they're relatively drab colored, they had scales or almost this elephant-like wrinkly skin. They're thought to be relatively stupid or at least not have... Uh, very interesting behaviors, uh, but paleontologists have been, you know, sort of revamping dinosaurs. The reason why we're sure that dinosaurs are birds begins with a fossil find. The story for this really starts in 1996 in China in an area called Leining. This is a rural area known for having lots of dinosaur fossils, but you don't have to dig for them. So no toothbrushes, no pickaxes. No little rock hammers or anything like that. They're just sitting on the surface of the earth in slabs of rock. So when farmers are out in their fields, sometimes they pick up these rocks and they just split them open like a geode, hoping that they find a fossil inside. So in 1996, it's like one farmer just hit the lottery of fossil finds. So it was in that year that a farmer named Lee Yu-Min um, was just splitting open these slabs, and it split open into two pieces that had a little dinosaur curled up on it. It's clear at first glance that this is no ordinary fossil. So we actually have a photo of this on our website. It's the most beautiful fossil I've ever seen. That's a big endorsement for this fossil. It, I mean, you know, fossils generally look like piles of rocks. So. It's not like a dinosaur skeleton that you would see in a museum. It's pressed into a flat slab of rock. It's kind of like if you take, you know, if you've ever done flower presses in books, it says, except this is a dinosaur press. 
Exactly. It's also so well preserved, there's so much detail. You can see its tiny little ribs and almost what it's, what's in its gut, like what it had for its last meal. But that's not even the coolest thing about this fossil. It looked a little bit fuzzy, which is kind of unusual. Yes, it looked fuzzy. Fuzzy, like baby chick feathers or something. If you look at the back of its head and along its tail, you can see basically it looks like fluff, these little simple filaments, these little wisps. No one had ever seen this kind of fuzzy dinosaur before. So did the farmer know, like, oh my god, this must be amazing? I mean, he knew that it was a significant find. Um, it's unclear whether he knew, you know, how important it would turn out. But he knew that it was special. He knew that it was different, if only for its completeness and, like, the level of detail in the fossil, if nothing else. The farmer brought it to a local paleontologist who brought it to a museum in Beijing. And two North American paleontologists just happened to be there and got the chance to see it. The paleontologist knew this was immediately something uh, that hadn't been seen before, something spectacular. They were just blown away. Scientists in China wanted to keep this dinosaur a secret until they got a paper published in an official scientific journal. But one of these paleontologists was so excited, he couldn't wait, and he secretly took a photo. And he took a Polaroid photo, and he brought it to the major meeting of paleontologists in, in North America. So he smuggled the photo out. Yeah, he was a science rebel. <laughs> did he wear a leather jacket over his we, lab coat? We can assume he, maybe he did. Maybe with spikes. <laughs> And uh, he was showing off this little snapshot. Rumors of this photo spread quickly. So there were crowds of paleontologists huddling around this little photograph, trying to catch a glimpse of the fuzzy dinosaur. In particular, he showed it to a paleontologist by the name of John Ostrom. Ostrom thought that if birds were dinosaurs, he would eventually find some sort of fossil with feathers on it. And, um, you know, Ostrom had played a major role in popularizing the idea that birds are living dinosaurs and that dinosaurs were much more active. And this was that fossil, this was the missing link. And he said that he was just, you know, blown away by seeing this thing. It seemed to be like a confirmation of many of the things that he was saying. He was just thrilled. Wow. This moment in 1996 was the moment when paleontologists said birds are dinosaurs and dinosaurs are probably more bird-like than we've thought of them. So it was a really big moment and that photo was the talk of the meeting, of course. But then scientists did have to go through that scientific process to figure out if the fossil was what it looked like. And there was some questioning about it, you know, so is this really fluffy material? They got together a group, including scientists who didn't believe that birds and dinosaurs had anything to do with each other, and they decided that it was the real deal. Like, yep, that fuzzy stuff. It is fuzzy. So it's what we would call the first non-avian dinosaur, the first non-bird dinosaur to have feathers on it. And when Brian says that this is the first non-avian or non-bird dinosaur, he means that dinosaurs have now been divided into two categories. Birds, because birds are dinosaurs. And what we think of as those traditional dinosaurs like your T-Rex, your Stegosaurus, they're non-avian dinosaurs. Dinosaurs that are not birds. 
The simplest way to think about it is just birds are another lineage of dinosaurs. Like we, we only make the separation between them because they're the only ones that survived. So sort of like uh, humans are primates and chimps are primates and Neanderthals are primates. But they're not humans. They're not humans. Okay, so what did they call the first non-bird dinosaur with feathers? The name is, let me make sure I'm pronouncing this right, Sinoceroptrix. Sinoceroptrix was the first regular dinosaur to have feathers on it. Well, it really solidified this connection that, that birds are dinosaurs. I know I've been repeating this over and over during this talk. It is really important because it you know, fundamentally changes the way that we study these animals. Before this discovery, scientists were looking to alligators and crocodiles, like those giant lizard types, for clues about how dinosaurs might have moved or cared for their young. Now, we know we've got living dinosaurs. This is something that we didn't have before. You know, it's this whole new source of you know, information about their anatomy and you know, possibly even their behavior. So this bird at our window is a dinosaur. But I get why that bird has feathers. It flies. It needs them to fly. Um, but why do dinosaurs have feathers? Because, you know, I, I hope T-Rex didn't fly. That would be terrifying. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> Scientists are just starting to understand that. That, you know, many of these dinosaurs are about as aerodynamic as a brick. There's no way that they're taking to the air, so why did they have them? Uh, well, look at birds today. Birds don't use feathers just for flight. They also help keep their bodies warm. Like penguins. Yeah, and different dinosaurs had different kinds of feathers. So if you had a big dinosaur like Tyrannosaurus rex, and it wasn't totally covered with feathers, but it had some very simple feathers, some covering almost like an African elephant today. Like, they're not hairy like a woolly mammoth, but they still have hairs. Something nice to cuddle with, right? T-Rex could have a rough, feathery fuzz. It would have kept him cool, wicking away heat. Like a performance t-shirt. <laughs> uh, there are other dinosaurs that we know of that have um, these long ribbon-like feathers coming off the back of the tail, and it's difficult to imagine those being used for flight, but they would have been great for display. Just like birds today, dinosaurs might have used flashy colors to impress other dinosaurs. Like, ooh, check out Jim the Iguanodon. <laughs> He's got a new molt on. <laughs> Looking good, Jim. <laughs> Looking good. <laughs> I think what's really cool to me about studying dinosaurs is even though they're part of the past and nothing really changes about who they were, we're continually updating what they might have looked like and what their world must have been like. You know, paleontology and science in general is always updating these animals as we learn more that this isn't you know, static stuff where we just find a fact and we put it on the shelf and that's it. Um, you know, these animals continue to change. I asked Brian, as someone who writes about dinosaurs nearly every day, what excites him most in learning about all of these discoveries? Uh, you know, I'm looking at, out into my yard now, and there's a little uh, quail running around. That's, that's a dinosaur. I've got dinosaurs in my yard. And just to be able to say that, I think, is the, the most exciting aspect of all these discoveries. That's our show the first episode of our second season. And thanks so much to Brian Sweetek for being on the show. I wrote the theme and this episode was written, produced, and edited by Lindsay and Sarah Lentz, our associate producer. Once you get done listening to this episode, make sure you check out our blog post on our website, tumblepodcast.com. We have photos of that amazing Sinoceroptrix fossil that you really have to see. 
and more cool stuff that we didn't have time to talk about. We're posting new episodes at the beginning of every month. And next month, we're talking with Emily Grassley of The Brain Scoop. The Brain Scoop is one of my favorite science shows on YouTube, and Emily is so incredibly awesome. I can't even describe it. So go watch The Brain Scoop all month long, and you'll be as excited as we are about this next episode. You can find links to The Brain Scoop on our Facebook page, where we're posting all sorts of science interestingness. Uh, videos, articles, and projects we think are cool and you'll want to know about. And if you love what we're doing at Tumble, please write a review of us on iTunes. They really, really help. And subscribe so you can join us next time for more stories of science discovery. Mm-hmm.